From Von Hayes, New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And first, before we begin, a, a special statement. <laughs> Zach. Yeah? Love you, man. Did you miss me? Yeah, but you're dead wrong about those cocktail books. I just want to be clear. I yeah. definitely think that they are useful, but I wasn't here to say anything, so we don't have to relitigate it. But, Adam uh, was so mad to miss that combo. I was combo. very mad to miss that combo. <laughs> I think you had a good argument there. I think you had a good argument there, but I think the only – what I did agree with is I think there's there's way too many cocktail books based on cocktail bars that don't deserve cocktail books. That was my point. That was the argument I was making. That was a point. Uh, it was a point, but it went it went very much, I felt like, into just cocktail books in general. No, I made and a point are, to say that, that book there are there's value to collections of recipes. You just don't need a book for it. Interesting. Interesting. You got a vine pair. Like what do you need books. a book for? <laughs> True. Yeah. Look, you're you're repping the site. I appreciate. I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm I pushing the site harder than either of the two of you. So I feel like you know you owe me an apology. Oh shit. Okay. Anyways, what'd you drink while I was gone? No, no, no. You tell us about champagne. Come on, bud. Dude. First of all, the most fun stuff. First of all, Paris is great, guys. Uh, France is great. great. (laughs) Hot take from Adam (laughs) Peter. Paris is a good city. It's still okay. Still great. So, yeah. So, I was in uh, Rennes for, which I learned that's how you actually say say it. Cheers for the correct pronunciation. Very nicely done. (laughs) Fucking Reims. Reims. (laughs) Rennes. Rennes. And And the only thing that I was really, have you been there before, Zach? Uh, For a day, yes. Oh. Mm -hmm. So, the only thing that I was like really bummed about is a bunch of people like all kept telling me, you've got to go to this one dive bar called the glue pot. Mm. And it's like this awesome, awesome dive bar that all that they serve champagne at and whatever. And so like, I look on Google maps and I realize that it's only two blocks from my hotel. Mm. I'm like getting amped. I show Naomi like while we're waiting for the plane, leave, like we're going to go to the glue pot when we land, like it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and of course it was the one week they decided to take their fucking vacation. Oh. <laughs> so I did not get to oh, go to that the glue always pot. happens. Although so I can assure you that sign. Because you were in France, it was definitely not the one week they take. No, a no, no, yeah, no, no. They're on holiday for for this month. It's like a holiday. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so yeah, so in um, I love that name. It's yeah, the glue pot. So mm-hmm. cool. So in in Rents, we uh, we went to three. Uh, champagne houses that were very uh, gracious to host Naomi and I. This was not a pressure. This was our vacation, but uh, mm-hmm. I told some people that I was going, and they were like, we'd love to have you. So I got to go to Krug, mm-hmm. which was just one of the most epic experiences I've ever had. Uh, it was just an incredible you know, time there. They were so gracious. Uh, the wines are incredible. Um, it was really cool to see the sellers, uh, to, to meet with them, to learn about how they make the wines. Uh, it's just, it's insane that they literally vinify by plot, uh, and by, and you know, by row. So -hmm. like, I mean, any given vintage there or harvest, they're vinifying 450 to 500 individual wines. Yeah. Wow. Uh, which is just awesome and crazy. And then also got to go to uh, Billicart, mm-hmm. some salmon, which was awesome. And did not realize that they believe in the U.S. They're really only known for their rosé, mm-hmm. which I that. thought was mm-hmm. interesting. And that a lot of people, they say like when they, in, when they um, encounter consumers, a lot of consumers in the U.S. think their name Billicart salmon is because they make a rosé and their rosé is salmon colored. Interesting. And they have to be like, and no. bottle too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they have to be like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> we make a lot of other wines, but we're glad you like the rosé. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> the rosé, uh, to be fair, is fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's yeah. amazing. And they also, uh, they don't identify as many different wines as Krug does, but very similar um, practice. You know, everything by uh, parcel, mm-hmm. by row. They just, Krug does everything in, uh, you know, identifies everything in uh, used 
spent oak barrels mm-hmm. and Billicart only does about 20, 30% of that. And the rest is stainless steel, yep. like small stainless steel vessels. And then uh champagne Tat and Jay, which you've also been to Zach. I have. And mm-hmm. that was really cool because I mean, the champagnes, there are also great, but I think you will agree. Cause you've also been there. Probably the coolest thing mm-hmm. is the caves. Oh, mm-hmm. they're amazing. I mean, they're just, they're these incredible ancient caves that have been dug since the third century. Wow. Um, and so like, you've never been in anything like that before. Mm -hmm. And obviously they didn't, they were not dug for champagne. They were dug to actually dig the stone out to build the city. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, and there are these, you know, just chalk caves and then they were then repurposed to house champagne and they're, it's just like, you see old carvings from when people had to be down in the caves during the wars. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, and because the, the chalk is so soft still. Mm-hmm. And what happens is once it's harvested, then it hardens mm-hmm. and it becomes really strong and they were able to use it to build buildings. But prior to that, it's just like, I mean, you can touch it and it's like, it's, it's, it was really cool. Um, and and then, what was, what was the music thing that you did? So that was Krug. So okay. Krug's whole thing is they use music to sort of explain the wines. Gotcha. Um, and uh, they use music to sort of represent the various still wines that are inside the champagne. Mm. It was cool. I mm-hmm. mean, again, I think if you, when you hear about it, you're like, is that cheesy? I don't know. But like doing it there was fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, but yes, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. And then uh, went to Paris and Paris is just the best. Mm-hmm. The best. Mm-hmm. Is this from a man who knocks France at every occasion? So I got to say, I don't knock Dude, France at every occasion. I do love Italy. Yeah, I do love Italy. Well, I love Italians, and <laughs> you know, and Italy. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's the whole warmth and everything. But uh, France, Paris was. You just saying he loves you, Joanna. You're good. <laughs> oh my God. Keep keep talking at him. <laughs> but I, but I also. Uh, Got to go to like Clown Bar, which was really fun, mm-hmm. and this new-ish wine bar restaurant called Parcells, mm-hmm. um, and this Israeli restaurant called Shabur, and we drank lots of stuff. But the, the most interesting thing to me was, I felt like I didn't realize this the last time I was in Paris, and maybe I just missed it, because people are going to be like, no, Adam, it's always been this way, but especially at the natural wine bars we went to, and Parcells and Clown Bar are two that sort of consider themselves natural. First, I was very surprised by the majority of the wines being clean, mm-hmm. very clean. And then also that it was not a lot of Loire wines anymore. It was a lot, a lot, a lot of Burgundy. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if that's because the movement is kind of starting to go away from some of the funkier wines that are coming, that come out of the Loire, mm-hmm. but it was really shocking to me. Like I expected to see tons of Chenin, tons of Cab Franc, stuff like that. No. It was like massive burgundy selections at almost every one of these wine bars, including the last place um, that I went to, Zach Parcells, where I had the wine made by uh, the winemaker that you know. Yeah, yeah. Brendan Stater West, an American. I know. And that was the only <laughs> Shannon I had. I was going to say. <laughs> because, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because, and that, but then everything else was burgundy, mm-hmm. um, which was just really interesting. But I think Paris still continues to be a very exciting city for what's happening in wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool to go to. I, I will say, I thought I would drink cocktails. Yeah. And I didn't go. I didn't have one. At all. No. Wow. Um, it was all wine. And then like cognac and Armagnac. Because that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Like at the end of meals once in a while. Or like when the waiter decided that he liked Naomi and I one day and just like brought us glasses of cognac. And he was like, you guys are fun. That's the best. <laughs> that was really cool. fun. Yeah. Um, uh, you had a birthier cognac. Yeah, I had a birthier cognac. Mm-hmm. And uh, a birthier Armagnac. Okay. And it was in 1983. I just gave away how old I am. <laughs> uh, but it was cool because it was only f- uh, like 16 euros. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that there's that that cool thing that's happen- that happens with cognacs and armagnacs where they do these vintage years and you get to sort of have these older vintages that still aren't outrageously expensive. More affordably, yeah, so it was, yeah. re- it was really fun to be able to do and it didn't feel like I saw something on the list and I was like, oh yeah, this is like an 83, but shit, this is 60 euros. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, for me, when I saw it, I was like, this is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just fun. So it was very cool. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Joanna? Well, far less exciting for me. Well, actually, you know. What? I don't know. I got to go to Manhattan, which is one of my favorite places in the city. Um, it it has, had been closed for a long time, and it recently reopened uh-huh. with this amazing bar program. Adam, you've been there. Um, and I had a few really special cocktails, one of which was a banana rum cocktail, which I'm finding to be my favorite type of cocktail, apparently. Really? What was it called? It's called Always Money, which Always is money. very I remember that clever. remember on the list. Because it's a it's a it's a nod to um, Arrested Development. You know, there's always money in the yeah, banana in the stand. banana stand. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Which I love even more. I love Arrested Development. Uh, yeah, and I also had a take on or their take on a Negroni called the Deep Fake Negroni, which is a strawberry Negroni with okay. lemon and olive, which was very delicious as well. Did you have the black and white cookie? I didn't. I, I had two. It was short yeah, 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 yeah. I have to go back. <laughs> um, and then also had a I had a very delicious rice saison from Transmitter Brewing recently Ooh. too. Yeah, I like their stuff. I like Transmitter too. Mm-hmm. Bad location. I didn't good go beers. there. I got yeah, the beer. Exactly. You know, didn't go there, but it was good. Um, what about you, Zach? What have you been drinking? Yeah, so I had uh, some a friend in town, actually, an old coworker of mine, uh, over this past weekend, and uh, she and her kids came over along with um, another former coworker of ours, and so we took the opportunity to do something that I haven't gotten to do a lot of over the last couple of years, which is open uh, a number of different bottles of wine as opposed to the one that Caitlin and I usually get, uh, manage a day or less than that, of course. Um, and fun. it was it was yeah, and actually, funny enough, started off with the aforementioned Viacart Samol. Brut Rosé. I do know they make other champagnes. I actually have some of their other champagne, their non-rosé, but uh, love that bottle, and that was always fun. And then drank some Chablis, um, a really couple of uh, different Rieslings, which was fun. Um, All of us are kind of uh, lovers of Riesling, so we had a uh, an older uh, Mosul Valley uh, cabinet of 2002, and then had a a slightly younger uh, 2016 Riesling from uh, one of my favorite regions up in British Columbia in the Okanagan Valley. Uh, mm-hmm. really strikingly different expressions. You know, the the Mosul was, um, you know, a little bit uh, of residual sugar, much kind of, you know, that really developed kind of gasoline-y, uh, lime kind of style of Riesling that you find from mm-hmm. there. Um, and then the one from the Okanagan from uh, Tantalus was very uh, much drier, um, really, really high acidity, and much more kind of like crunchy pear and uh, even a little bit of like... Um, green apple and um just both really tasty so yeah it was kind of fun to do that um and do the side by side and then the only other thing i did was i actually went to for the first time in a while uh to an actual like live event i went to a, a recording for a different podcast that i listened to <laughs> that's fun I folks i do listen to other podcasts <laughs> and uh there i drank a thing i haven't had in a long time either which is uh rainier our uh, not local local beer uh yeah but uh, but a staple of of Seattle, even if it's now made in California. So uh, we'll throw back. Cool, cool. Uh, so today we're going to talk tequila because it's that week. It's, that it's week. like it's like tequila's <laughs> Super Bowl because mm-hmm. uh, it's Cinco de Mayo this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we thought it would be a really interesting time to have a chat about tequila potentially. Not saying it's going to happen, mm-hmm. but tequila potentially going the way of vodka and what that means. So right now tequila's sitting at third position 
in the U.S. But first, in a, still, yeah. Mm-hmm. But first, in a lot of people's hearts, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's behind vodka and whiskey, whiskey. bourbon specifically, mm-hmm. uh, still. But it's growing every single rapidly, rapidly, yeah. Uh, especially amongst younger demographics, mm-hmm. like millennials, Gen Z, for sure. I think like vodka is probably still being held up by them Gen, Gen Xers that no one talks about, <laughs> but. Uh, but, you know, the, the Gen Xers that are, you know, drinking that cold vodka and calling it a martini. But anyways, so. That's my parents and they're boomers, so. <laughs> Just like cold vodka and that's it. Like, this is a martini yeah. and a martini glass. <laughs> anyways, but um, I thought it'd be interesting to look at it because <clears throat> you sort of are starting to see tequila following some of vodka's patterns. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what you guys think of this. So, you know, the two patterns specifically besides the massive explosion, it, well, three patterns is certain tequilas now being created specifically for nightlife, mm-hmm. right? So bottle service tequilas. I think you could put, you can put 1942 in that sure. camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you can put a few of them, right? But 1942 probably being the most well-known Casa Azul being the other one. That like I think super premium, super premium mm-hmm. nightlife. Baller. Fo- yeah. Nightlife yeah. focused flex bottles. Mm-hmm. Flex bottles. You have a lot of celebrities rushing into the category. You had the same thing happening in vodka, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. And then you're starting mm-hmm. to see, and I think, uh, the the acquisition that happened a few weeks ago of 21 Seeds is mm-hmm. proof of this, flavored tequilas. Yes. Uh, and I think a lot of this makes a lot of tequila purists really nervous mm. because there is something that is very, that tequila seems to have, there's magic that tequila seems to have that other categories don't. A lot of that is that artisanal aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a fear that if this continues, there, there will be a, a very big division, mm-hmm. but also a blowback. So that's why I think you're starting to see a lot of the artisanal brands really speaking up about being anti-celebrity, anti-baller bottle, high-end, you know, artisanal, trying to tout their additive freeness, the way they make the product, et cetera, the, the move away from diffuser, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of these baller bottles, too, are made with diffusers. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're made, they're not made in the traditional method. They're made in ways that uh, actually don't make as high quality of a liquid. Take less time. Take less time and put it in a high-end bottle and it is what it is. And you can make more of it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting time for tequila and I'm, I'm sort of curious what you guys think about all of this and specifically what you think of celebrity tequila and what you think of flavored tequila. Flavored tequila. I think also one parallel that, that, we're, um, that we're seeing as well is uh, the, the health halo yes, around tequila, sure. yes. the same way that we saw with vodka. 100%. And I think that plays into this idea of infu- infused tequila or flavored tequila because I think People would, wouldn't want to admit that they prefer those spirits yeah. because they have flavor without added calories. Yep. Um, and I think that's a really big part of this conversation as well. But it's interesting that you say, you know, the nervousness around it yeah. because purists want to preserve tequila as this artisanal spirit. Um, and something that I was thinking about in, in thinking about this conversation is, you know, Diageo just acquired... 20, what is it? 21, 21 seeds, right? Um, will will these bigger tequila players, you know, launch their own lines of flavored tequila because there's a market for it, right? Or will they try to preserve the authenticity of their brands? I think, so it's really interesting that you say that, and um, I'm sure Zach, Zach has thoughts here too, but I think the bigger companies mm-hmm. are going to hedge their best. So, Right. In any in any world of business, right, when you talk about conglomerates, 
you're sort of hedge your bets with with your investments, right? So if there's a large conglomerate and they own, let's say, an auto manufacturer, but they also want to own, I don't know, maybe a bicycle manufacturer in case everyone moves to bikes, right? They, mm-hmm. they want to, you want to have as many things in your portfolio to sure. diversify. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think the larger companies will continue to diversify their holdings in mm-hmm. tequila. And so I think you will see, I mean, you already see, if you look at some of these companies, tequila brands, some are, are very artisanal. Mm-hmm. Others are made with diffusers. Right. So they're made more cheaply. They can hit that like under $40 price point, under $30 price point in a lot of places. Uh, they don't have as... They, they don't have the character of agave anymore because they're made with diffuser, but a lot of consumers don't care. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you'll see some of them diversify into flavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're going to say, well, we need to have this as an aspect of our portfolio. And I think, you know, there will be a few holdouts, like some of maybe the smaller multi-brand companies that say, like, we're only going to hold spirits that are made in this way, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you look across the board at some of the, at, at a lot of these companies, like, I mean... So if you think about Buffalo Trace, right, they, you know, they own a lot of the best bourbons in the world, but the Sazerac company also owns Southern Comfort. Mm-hmm. It's a flavored whiskey. Right. So they're, they're also diversifying their holdings. So I think in the bigger companies, yes, I, I'm very curious. Who knows what will happen with like smaller tequila distilleries? Like, will they all start making flavored ones? Right. I don't know. Zach, have you ever had flavored tequila? Uh, I mean, that's a really good question. I think I've had a jalapeno <laughs> tequila before, yep. mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I've had one, uh, anything else in the flavored realm. And it's really interesting, you know, hearing the two of you talk about this, because I, I think in addition to, or, or kind of the other thing that I was interested in thinking about in this, in this kind of line of conversation in this thought experiment about ways in which tequila might be having a, a similar path to walking a similar path to vodka is that one of the things that was really interesting about that period of time in in vodka's growth in the 90s and 2000s was you had all of these things going on and you also had a sort of increasing um emphasis being put in some category or in some parts of the vodka category on what the base uh, distillate was, right? You know, yeah. you had your potato mm. vodkas for people who were gluten-free and didn't understand how distillation works. You had your, um, you know, grape vodkas. Just a little your- bit of a dig there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was hoping you wouldn't call it out so that it would just kind of slide by. It was too too good, Zach. It was too good. Continue. And and then you had, you know, you've had sort of all these different things that have happened in in vodka, including, you know, some of what we've talked about on the podcast in the past of like, you know, this sort of interesting um, almost reemergence of ultra premium vodka, um, you know, not necessarily folks centered around the base distillate in some cases, but just in terms of, you know, kind of trying to get away from that. Uh, the image that vodka largely cultivated in the 90s and 2000s. And with tequila, you have these kind of interesting, perhaps, um, barriers against some of what happened there. You do have the the reality that um, tequila has to at least in part come from agave. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can get away with a lot of things, uh, depending on how you want to classify your tequila. And, um, you know, just because it's made from agave, as you've pointed out, Adam, you know, if you're using diffusers and things like that, it doesn't mean you're particularly getting a whole lot of agave character um, in the in the finished product. But, you know, there's agave is a a somewhat um, limiting resource in terms of just its growth cycle and availability and all that. And you also have this other perhaps obstacle that we've talked about also on the podcast in a way in the past, which is a resistance to perhaps some of the kind of colonialism of the big alcohol trade in something that is at its heart, an indigenous product of Mexico. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you know, our own personal politics and the politics of some people um, may not in the end amount to much when compared to, 
you know, dollars on a spreadsheet. And I understand that. And obviously, you know, there's, there's been a lot of kind of moving and angling and positioning around this. But I do think that those things serve as potential um, obstacles that some brands might face in trying to kind of establish more of a foothold in the market. I think the really question, the thing I really want to ask you both about is to this question of flavored tequilas. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got at this before, but I would love to get your more specific thoughts on this. Do you think that when we look at some of these big players, are we going to see new brands that are launched or or things like acquisitions of 21 Seeds, which is its own kind of independent brand? Or do you think you're going to see some of the really well-known tequila brands launch a flavored tequila line? Because I think that that's where that kind of question comes, right? Is, you know, it's one thing to develop a new product that doesn't have any kind of backstory and say, here's our, you know, here's our line of flavored tequilas to hit that part of the market that we think wants these versus we're going to put the the heft of our, of our well-known tequila brand or brands behind this right. category, right? Those are kind of two different things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I'm wondering as well, because I think that while Adam has a good point about wanting to preserve the, or purists wanting to preserve the authenticity of this spirit. I think there is value, and we've explored this on the site before, Tim has specifically, um, for flavored tequilas to the trade, um, that they're very useful if they're done right, right? And I think that people really like them. So that's why I'm wondering, will, you know, Don Julio come out with a line of flavored tequilas as part of their... They already have. So, oh, okay. so, so so sort of right not not truly uh-huh. uh but if you look at their most recent release it's been aged in orange wine barrels and not orange wine like the orange wine we're right, talking right, about right. wine that was made from oranges oh. and it gives oh, gotcha. and it gives this orange flavor, flavor. to the reposado mm-hmm. and then it's in a it's in a bottle uh that looks like 1942 it's right, just there right, right. um so i think that yes you will but, but in a different way they're doing it in a higher yes. you know like in a yeah, in a much more sophisticated, like sophisticated way. way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's called Primavera. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, I think you might. Um, I also think that you know, the majority of consumers don't care about this colonialism stuff we're talking about. I mm. think, I think trade do, but all, but I mean, because all you have to look at is the massive adoption of you know people running for. 818, you know, yeah. Kendall Jenner's tequila and things like that. Like, she has no right to make tequila. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're talking from this perspective, she has no Mexican heritage. She, okay, she lives in LA, right? Like, <laughs> and she, and she named literally the tequila after the area code of the valley. Like, it just, mm-hmm. you know, so she has no true claim either. And there's going to be a lot of people who write about that and, and get angry about that. And there'll be a bunch of people who don't drink it because of that. And a bunch of people that don't care. Mm-hmm. And that was always the same way in vodka, too. There were people who, like, you know, I remember when vodka was was the hot thing. There were like there was like the smart consumer that was like, I only drink Grey Goose and Kettle One and mm-hmm. you know Chopin because these are you know well made vodkas. And I was just like, give me the one with the taste like Dole Whip. Yeah. You know, like I right. don't care. Like I'll take the donut vodka. Like this is fun. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that's really interesting between the two that Health Halo that we're talking about, yeah, is they both they both did have one, right? Mm-hmm. Tequila has one that, and they're both. They're both interestingly related to hangovers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. This idea that tequila can't give you a hangover now because it's this natural product from agave. And the idea with, that vodka had was that it was clear. Cl- yes, clear. And that mm-hmm. clear spirits didn't give you a hangover. Yeah, yeah. Was, I think every, every sort of like 10, 20 years, we, like we claim there's a spirit that can't give us a hangover right. as much as other spirits. Right. Yeah. Maybe it'll be gin next. <laughs> but like, well, mezcal, right? One can hope. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I think that like that's for sure what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I do think that there will be 
higher end stuff. And, and the and the area that you're seeing it the most is I, I think it's very interesting that the one flavor well, first of all, before I answer the question, Joanna, have you ever had a flavored tequila? I no, I don't think I have unless I've ordered a spicy marg at a rest at a bar or restaurant and it had flavored tequila in it because I understand that's where like bartenders are using them. Yes. That's where they're very valuable. And that's where I think it's interesting that that's the flavored tequila that Zach has had. Right. And that's the flavored tequila that I have had. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that there are flavored tequilas with that jalapeno flavor mm-hmm. that are working because a lot of bartenders are saying, well, you know, we don't want to take the time to infuse jalapeno into right, a tequila exactly. here. We also don't want to figure out how we're just crushing jalapeno because then a lot of consumers complain it's too spicy. Mm-hmm. Someone figured out how to do this. Yeah. And so we're fine with it. And it's consistent and it's good. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I think where there's going to start to be more blowback are some of the other crazy flavors coming out from 21 Seeds, et cetera, that are, you know, first it's going to be Valencia Orange, then it's just something that doesn't make any sense at all. Maybe it won't be 21 Seeds, it'll be someone else right, that right. does some some crazier flavor. And I think the flavors are happening because, you know, of, of what we're seeing in tequila as a whole, which is it's a way to mask cheaper agave. Or like the way we saw with vodka, which was to make a generally unpalatable spirit palatable. more palatable to people right. who didn't like it. Because yeah. if you're making it via, via a diffuser, which is much cheaper, mm-hmm. you're not extracting all the agave flavor anyways, you're, you're probably harvesting agaves at a much younger age younger, than you yeah. should be, mm-hmm. then adding flavor to it makes it palatable. Well, mm-hmm. And, and yeah. on top of that, I think it's not just, it's not even just the quality of the base spirit. It's also the reality that for a segment of the Tequila consuming population, which was, you know, we're talking about with vodka, very much the parallel here, you know, the people Mm -hmm. who are health conscious who see who saw a vodka soda as their drink they could have that was the lowest calorie, you know, kind of option if they want well tequila soda, but they don't really love the taste of just plain tequila, especially if it's well tequila or whatever. Well, a, you know, such and such flavor tequila and soda is going to carry essentially the same caloric load is going to have a more palatable flavor for them. Like that's an automatic win for, for a certain segment of the, of the Mm -hmm. drinking public. And I don't even think that's inherently a bad thing. I mean, I think that, you know, there are real questions that we can ask and should be asked and should be considered by, by everyone about like, how is this being made? What are, what exactly is going into getting this product, um, you know, on a bar shelf at a, a cheap price for something that, you know, at its core is not really a spirit that should be able to be made super cheaply um, and and with quality. But again, a lot of people don't care about that. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I don't think any of us are going to really sit here and be like, you know, admonishing people for wanting a $9 well, you know, spirit and soda that they're going to drink because they're, they're out for a different kind of experience than maybe the one right. we talked about at the beginning of the show. Let's put it that way. Well, so, yeah. well, so I have a question for both of you mm-hmm. because I think we've now we've sort of ex- examined this. We didn't talk about celebrity as much. We've talked about it before. Yeah. So I have a question for both of you. And if you look, you can look at vodka. You don't have to look at vodka. Where do you think the bigger backlash is going to ultimately come? Is it going to come from consumers mm-hmm. and the trade against all the celebrity tequilas we're seeing? Mm-hmm. Because at, at some point, right, there was this backlash. There was this push against vodka. And then a lot of bartenders started saying, I don't make cocktails with vodka anymore, et cetera. I don't think that'll ever truly happen with tequila because there are too many artisanal ones. Mm-hmm. But I think there's going to start to be a drumbeat of like, we're sick of this. From, from And I wonder, is it going to be, we're sick of all the celebrity tequilas? Or have we just begun to see the proliferation of flavored tequilas and it's actually, we're, we're not even prepared for the backlash that's going to happen against those? Do you think that flavored or celebrity tequilas will really overtake like the premium tequila ca- part of the category in a way that will... I think that's a fear from a lot of premium tequilas. Yeah, I think if... I mean, not the flavored yet, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are looking at Casamigos' continued growth and they're staring at Terramana's continued growth. True. And those are very different tequilas, by the way. I mean, uh, 
Terramana is not made with diffusers. Right, it's, right. it's made, you know, like actually it's a good tequila. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Casamigos is not, mm-hmm. uh, but they are, they're looking at both of those and those are celebrity tequilas. Yeah. I mean, I guess it really depends on what we're asking here, which is the bigger brands going flavored, right? Because I, I, I could see that being a point of contention, right? If some will, but others won't. Yeah. And people are gravitating towards the flavored tequilas. then I think that's where it could get a little contentious. Hmm. I think there, I think you're going to see more pushback against flavored and inexpensive tequila. And here's the, mm. here are the reasons why I think the, the pushback against vodka, the sort of bartender, Oh, we don't, I don't make drinks with vodka thing was really about a, a kind of a, a thing that crept into the consumer um, mindset in that period of time, which was like, I, you know, whether it was a health halo or whatever people, there were, you got a lot of people who came to the bar and were like, I want to have this cocktail, but can you make it with vodka instead of whatever, instead of gin, instead of mm-hmm. white rum, instead of whatever the thing was. And I think a lot of bartenders felt, you know, maybe incorrectly at the time, maybe correctly, who knows that like, it wasn't interesting to them to work with vodka, that people were, were ordering vodka cocktails because they wanted other flavors and the vodka was just sort of the alcohol delivery system. And I think with tequila, you know, you're always, you know, you're, no bartender, I don't think, is ever going to be like, I'm not going to make a margarita. Like, the fuck right. kind of bartender mm-hmm. is that? Yeah, it's the number um, one cocktail in the country. Yeah. Well, and just like, it's it, like, no, again, I can't imagine a bartender, you know, with a straight face saying that to someone. But I do think you're going to see a pushback against stocking some of the, uh, potentially stocking some of the more outlandish flavors in the same way that, flavors, you know, the, yeah. the whipped cream vodka was not something you saw on the shelf at every bar, right? You saw it in a certain kind of bar for uh, with mm-hmm. where people wanted it and they knew to go for that kind of thing. And you didn't see it in other co- in cocktail bars and stuff like that. I think on the celebrity or on the celebrity side, I think that's much more where I agree that that producers, especially kind of traditional producers who have an established uh, market share are concerned because for so many people, they are relatively new to the tequila uh, you know, category. And I mean, Casamigos was like, you know, so many of the people that I've met and know who are like, have been devoted Casamigos people were people who didn't drink tequila before they started drinking it. And their brand right. loyalty, Interesting, yeah. it was cool. True. And they got into it through that. And they, they don't, they're not, they may or may not at some point be interested in moving into other, ca- other parts of the tequila category. But it's, the, if the growth is mostly happening with these celebrity tequilas or celebrity backed tequilas, I think there is real reason to be concerned. And that's where I think you're going to see the sort of more focused pushback from certain people within the trade and certainly some of these more established producers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I do think the celebrity thing is interesting because there's a lot of people who make the case that like they're really good for trial and that it's what's bringing people into the category, like, you know, adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, yeah, if if people just get stuck drinking those. But don't you think it's going to wane at some time soon? I think point. it'll wane when a bunch of celebrities realize that there's no more exit potential here. Mm. Like eventually we're going to see the same thing happen with tequila that happened with, with craft beer or things like that. Like people just bought enough of them, right? Like mm. there's only, you know, and then, and, and there'll be people who just aren't interested in uh, these celebrity tequilas anymore. They're interested in just other tequilas, like brands that feel more artisanal or are flavored or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, like 21 Seeds had no celebrities connected to it. it it's three, no, wi- no, it no, three yeah, women. It's, I think know? it has a lot of other things going for it, though. Yeah. Female-founded, you know, it's very young and hip. It's flavored, obviously. It was one of Oprah's favorite things. Yeah, I think Katie Couric loved it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it had a... Yeah, it had people who really got into it, um, but no celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, proof that 
these these products can come from lots of different places, um, not just from like celebrities as, as the people who will have these great exit potentials, etc. So I, I don't know. I, I do think it's gonna it's gonna start to die off because I think mm-hmm. people will will realize that there's just like what's the point? And I think there's a lot of celebrities too that like there's a reason that only a few celebrity tequilas are really successful. There's a reason that only a few celebrity spirits are really successful. It's because those spirits, we've talked about this before too, but like it's worth remembering, like it's the spirits where the celebrity is massively involved. Mm-hmm, right. And I mean, The Rock talks about Terramana all the time. Mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds, even though he sold aviation, still talks about it all the time. Same with Clooney and, you know, and Casamigos. Like mm-hmm. these are brands that they really are connected to and they believe in. And there's so many other celebrity brands that just the celebrity doesn't talk about them much. It's like, cool, man, you did a drop. Awesome. Like on to the next thing. I mean, we've talked about this a lot right. with uh, with Cacti. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, w- it was out there and then it was gone yeah. and, and no one and, and it was barely talked about again. Like Travis Scott didn't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were other know? reasons so, too why it was. That well, yeah, now, yeah, I mean, now, bad. now there's a, but yes, but, the, but this was before then, right? The, the, the brand was already kind of dying. And then that was a, a great excuse. Not the fact that people died, but no, well, I mean, just the, the quality of the kill. product as the we explored. Well, the quality was of the product so was bad. terrible too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's going to be the, the thing is I just don't think there's a lot of celebrities that like, I don't know. Once they see that it's a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. really want to do it. Well, and it's like in that vein, you know, yeah, you could be the one guy like Clooney or maybe a couple of people who like really makes a serious chunk of change. But if you're already pretty well off and I mean, like, you know, it, it's sort of ridiculously well off, like many of the, these people. Yeah. Do you really want to invest a ton of your time to say nothing of money or anything else? Just all that energy to build up a brand when it's like may or may not pay off like probably got better ways to make money than that in the long run yeah yeah and i think and i think like if you are doing it the ones that are really being successful are the ones that like it's not connected yet to a big company yeah right so it's like like the reason the rock is hustling is because you know it's him and you know a few other people who own the brand and they're pushing it pushing it pushing it to sell it right Clooney was you know cosmicus was yeah Mm -hmm. aviation was independent you know uh they were they're independent brands, and so peop, they're they're really invested in them because they want to sell them. Mm-hmm. Like they're seeing this as a payoff. I think it's when a lot of the celebrity tequilas that we're seeing right now are also somehow already attached to a company, mm-hmm. and so then you also like there's probably this weird agreement between that celebrity and their agent and the company how often they talk about it and all that stuff. So it was like, cool, I did my contractual like five times a month or whatever, like mm-hmm. done on them. Right. You know, I'll do my few appearances and like the Rock's gonna talk about all time because he owns it i mean lebron talks about lobos all the time Mm -hmm. why because he owns it Mm -hmm. and he would like someone to buy it guaranteed because he's an entrepreneur but that's why he's talking about it all the time he's very invested very invested in it so i have a question for you guys coming back to the vodka conversation do you think either of these things celebrity tequila or flavor tequila will ultimately lead to the category's demise no I mean, demise? So will, no. Then. no, but you know how vodka kind of like went away for a long time and is kind of rebuilding its reputation? I think reputation. that's always been a myth. I mean, as Adam said, it's still more, it's still one of the top selling spirits in America. Vodka pays the bills, right? Yeah, vodka it, it, pays it, the bills. It may, not have, it may not have been like, you know, in the center of attention, but I mean, shit, the most successful, like, as far as I'm aware, successful new brand launch in the last couple of decades is, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name. Tito's. God, that was bad. Um, and like, that is like like 
vodka is still massively successful. Tequila will not be going anywhere, no matter what happens in these categories. Now, who makes the money? That might shift around for sure. And what yeah. styles are most popular? That might shift around for sure. Mm-hmm. Now that there's so much attention paid to it, I can imagine those things moving around. But but like we're not going to do this podcast in five years and be like, man, remember when we people drank tequila? That was weird. Right. I mean, more like falling out of favor. I think that with... you will see. Yes, yeah. I do think that. I mm-hmm. think that there will be. You know, no one drinks so. Let's talk about favor. I think tequila will always be a core ingredient in the things that we, the three of us, drink. Mm-hmm. The cocktail, you know, at cocktail bars, you know, in margaritas, et cetera. Will it continue to be the flex bottle? No, because there's going to be another Something flex else. bottle at the club, mm-hmm. right? It's it was vodka, it was champagne. It's still kind of champagne. It's now tequila. Maybe it's going to be vodka again. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's going to people would love it to be rum. You know, maybe it's maybe we go back to, you know, cognac. I mean, cognac's on the rise again. More people drinking cognac, especially Gen Z, like really in, in getting interested in cognac um, across all demographics. So I think it, it's going to be something else because every generation doesn't want to drink what the, like the Previous people right to, before yeah, yeah. them thought was cool. Mm-hmm. So th- there's going to have to be something. And so, you know, if I were one of the brands that had one of these flex bottles, I'd be thinking really long ter- ahead, long term about like, what's the next things? What are the next innovations that, cause you need to keep us relevant in the places that probably won't drop us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really, really important. And you've seen some brands sort of reinvent themselves to do that in vodka. You know, Greg was thinking has done that really well. I think there's mm-hmm. a, a bunch of a bunch of brands out there that have done that, you know, to, to a lot of success. Um because yeah, it's it's not gonna be. It yeah. just it can't be. Yeah. And tequila's always gonna have a sort of core authenticity to it in certain examples yes. where like there's going to be a, a kind of person who who re- that resonates with in the same way that we see throughout beverage alcohol that like things that have that have a history and tradition and and a sort of identifiable you know sense of place whatever they're always going to have their audience that audience may grow it may shrink but it's not it doesn't disappear because there are people for whom that is a really important thing when they make a decision about what they want to drink yeah mm-hmm. and I think that you know the the thing is going to be the, the the sort of thing that really hurts tequila in the long run I think these things will weaken it. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that I think people are going to get sick of the celebrity thing. I think there will be blowback in some of the flavors, especially flavors that don't feel to fit naturally in like classic tequila cocktails is going to be just the sheer issue of agave and how yeah. much there is. Mm. And that, you yeah, know, they're really going to start point. to be tequilas that just can't hit the price point they're trying to hit. And I'm talking about the cheap ones yeah. without really cutting corners. Mm. And those tequilas are going to start to taste like shit and they will be blowback against those. Like there was against the tequila we all drink in college. Mm-hmm. You don't have to name it, mm-hmm. but everyone knows it. It was the biggest tequila for a very long time. Still probably isn't, you know, at, at oh, a certain yeah, price sure. point yet, mm-hmm. but that everyone remembers is what gave them a hangover and why they quote unquote, don't like tequila. Mm-hmm. And that, that has, there's a risk of that happening in a lot of these tequilas under the, the $40 price point. Yeah, it may just be that you don't like 49% in industrial alcohol. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so anyways, really interesting conversation. Yeah. Uh, I will talk to you guys on Friday. Talk to you Friday. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. 
and also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.